Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shank Show. Hour number two of our show. Welcome back. Thank you very much for being with us. I'm Bill Shanks. It's 4 o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. You know what that means. It's time for the one and only Brett Beard from 939 The Score in Alabama. You can listen to the Harold Buck Show, Boomo Buck Show with Brett Beard coming up every weekday from 1 until 3 Eastern, 12 until 2 Central on 939thescore.com. Good afternoon. How are you? You know, I'm, I'm giddy about the Braves starting spring practice, and I've just been sitting here mulling over for the last hour since we ended our award-winning show in thinking about the, the answer to the proverbial question that's come up this week. Does college football need a two-minute warning? <laughs> Is that, is that the silliest damn thing you've heard of? Of all the issues that we have, and everybody who listens to this interview on a weekly basis knows the passion you and I have for this sport. Is that the silly? With all the other issues we have, is that the silliest thing to come down the road in a while? Yeah, yeah. I I think there's more things to figure out. I don't I don't think that's why the Boston College coach left no. for the. No. Packers, do you? No. Well, I would have stayed if they'd had a two-minute warning in college football. But <laughs> exactly. I, well, we were just talking a few moments ago about. I don't know if you've heard about Sean Elliott. The, uh, yes, I did. In fact, we talked about him on the show today. The the Georgia State coach yeah. leaving uh, two days after spring practice began in Atlanta to become a position coach for Shane Beamer at South Carolina. Now. I don't know what's going on in Coach Elliott's life. I don't know. I mean, some people have have, uh, messaged me that he was making $800,000 at Georgia State. That's pretty good. Right. I'm I'm going to assume he's going to make more than that in South Carolina. Don't know for sure, but I I will assume that he is. But, you know, you you couple that with the coach from Boston College going to the Packers with – Chip Kelly going from UCLA as the head coach, the head coach at UCLA, going, which I'm sure he was paid handsomely, yes. to be the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. What What is this saying about, about college football? Is this kind of an indictment on some of the things that are going on, Brett? Bill, I, I think this is really a – um, a turning point for for college football. Um, and I know the situation at UCLA, he reportedly was nearly fired. He had not uh, – his system, and I thought it was going to take off at UCLA after a couple of years. They, they started improving, started doing better, but I know they had a dysfunctional athletic department. And I know their, their NIL was nowhere near what they wanted – and, and you're right, you've got to take every one of these individually by, by cases, but I think we're going to continue to see this because until somebody does something about NIL and the transfer portal, but more than that, and it's the same thing that we've heard from two or three of our guests this week, uh, these guys don't have a life. Uh, I mean, 10 years ago it was thought of you didn't have a life if you were a coach in the NFL, 
but now it's gotten to a point with college to where you're re-recruiting players. You're, you've got the NIL. Some of these guys are literally out here fundraising to, to or, or they're not supposed to, but you know they are with their their collectives. They don't get off on holidays. They rarely see their family. And, uh, again, I'm like you. I don't know what the situation is at Georgia State, but we talked about that with Bill Bender of the Sporting News and a couple of our other guests. And two or three years ago, you'd say, well, uh, you know, Sean Elliott's crazy. Well, again, if he wants to, he may be having some issues with his family and just wanted to help. And, again, being an SEC coach is not an easy job. Uh, but you're right. I think we're going to begin to see more and more examples uh, examples of this every week. Yeah, you really wonder about this, uh, the stress on these coaches. I don't know how they yeah. do it. I really, I know it. I, know I really it. don't. It's it's uh, it's very interesting. It's a very interesting time, of course, with all the things that are going on. And and um, so yeah, I don't think we should be shocked by anything. I mean, it was shocking to see a coach leave. After right. spring practice had started, but you know he's obviously got his reasons. You have to, sure. You have to respect that, and and maybe it's financial, maybe it's not. Maybe maybe we have no idea. But I think it's just we're seeing a pattern here with a couple of people who are saying, "I don't want to be a head coach for whatever reason," and it's uh, worth the discussion for sure. Kalen DeBoer, the head coach at Alabama, promoted Freddie Roach and Robert Gillespie to larger roles. Probably a good idea, and probably he's realized even in a short time that those two. Number one, are great recruiters, and number two, probably about the best two he could have kept off Nick Saban's staff. Do you agree? Well, I would agree with that. And, again, you've, you and I have discussed this the last couple of weeks. This, to me, on paper, and, again, we're not going to know until, uh, obviously, we'll know more in the spring, see who leaves and doesn't leave. And what we've talked about, that, that's the other big headache with these coaches is roster management. It's just nearly an impossible Cast right now, you know, everybody understands where you're going to keep one or two coaches for transition because they know, uh, you know, the shortcuts, who, you know, which players are productive uh, and who are not. But when you look at this stuff on paper, even though Huff, uh, again, um, the, the two coaches left and went to Seattle, Huff, Grubb, obviously, is very good. Saban tried to get him. I know he's been a hot commodity in the NFL for the last couple of years, but this is still Kalen DeBoer's offense. And Nick Sheridan, who's had an offensive coordinator experience in Indiana and a couple of other places, Jamarcus Shepard. Now, he still needs to hire a uh, offensive line coach and also a tight ends coach. Uh, with this, but uh, in particularly, I think on the defensive side of the ball, it's an upgrade. Kane, Kane Womack, again, you've got two group of five coaches who are now coming in as assistants. Maurice Lindquist from Buffalo, Kane Womack from South Alabama, William Inge is a very good linebacker edge coach, and Colin Hitzler was with um, Cincinnati with Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant. They're two corners. It really held Alabama's passing attack down in the in the playoff game, but I still say on paper this is the best coaching staff Saban had well since twenty twenty. Brett, um, a lot of people are going to start talking about some of the changes that we could see in college football. I don't know 
if the things we were referring to earlier will be addressed, like some of the scheduling that can, in fact, be maybe adjusted to give coaches a little bit better situation. But I think one thing that SEC fans are going to be really interested to see is will they finally go to nine games? Do you think that they will start to discuss this and when they get to, I guess, Destin again uh, in in the spring after spring football, this will be at the top of their agenda? Is, is Sankey going to push for this now? Well, Del Conte kind of let the cat out of the bag. In fact, we've talked about this. Ross Dillinger had, had an article about this earlier this week. He was talking with Texas Athletic Director Chris Del Conte about multiple topics. One, of course, you know, are you going to be playing Texas A&M on an annual basis? And I don't know if he if he let it slip out or what, but what what Del Conte said was the SEC is targeting 2026 as far as going to a nine game conference schedule. Now, you and I talked about this uh, to 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 do that to keep the the rivalries, which you and I enjoy so much, uh, it looks like a 6-3 format. And one of the reasons why it's going to take another year or two uh, that we've heard this week is a lot of these programs are, are going to have to buy out some of these Power 5 teams on their schedule because a lot of them were littered throughout for the next two or three years now. But to answer your question, what we've heard in the last 24 hours is, and, and you're right, Sankey's been pushing this, uh, but in its price and people, they didn't do it this year. Well, I, I mean, for uh, 2024. But from what we're hearing, it will take place in 2026. They've got to buy some of these teams out and then decide. And I think it's going to be, it ain't going to be 7-1 or 7-2. It's probably going to be 6-3 with the three permanent rivals, but from what we hear, Del Conte let the cat out of the bag, and he said he's going to be 2026. Are you good with that? Are you good with them waiting until then, or do you think Sankey needs that time to be able to make it happen? To make it uh, Well, I think you nailed it. I think the latter is correct. I think he needs another two years, because quite frankly, he and Panetti with the, the Big Ten commissioner you know, the other question about this is, and we've talked about this, my Lord, we, we, we've been hearing this for decades. Will the two top power conferences or the top 64 teams just up and leave and form their own league and rules and everything else? I really do think that he needs two years. And, and, and I know it's, we always wish we wave a magic wand and, and take care of this or put some guardrails on, you know, on the transfer portal, but, uh, and listen, we love the sport, warts and all, but it, it's a mess right now. And yeah, it's probably going to take um, Sankey another two years to grease the spot and get and get everybody on the same page. Brett Beard, our guest, talking college football. Do you think that the little joint Big Ten SEC deal that they're doing, whatever it's called, union or uh, right partnership or whatever the heck they're calling it is it going to come out on the other side with with even more power than you would assume two conferences with 34 teams have now well i don't think number one i think this is a shot across the bow to the ncaa mm-hmm. in, in saying either get your act together or we're going to pull out and do our own thing 
you know, we'll see where where this goes, but uh, it, it, it's time. And you know, again, with, with Saban retired, we've heard the course a lot. When are they going to pull out and name Saban the commissioner of of whatever this is, huh. or or uh, the czar, whatever name you want to come up with? We'll we'll see where that goes, but. Uh, I don't think there's any question that they're serious. Thirty-four teams, and then you add, you know, will would the Big Twelve jump in on this? You know, you don't have a they Pac-12. Better. What's the ACC going to do? Yeah. Are, are are the four power conferences going to say, look, let's just all get let's all get together, form seventy-two, you know, whatever? Uh, because we, again, we're not through with the realignment. I, I still think the ACC. And these lawsuits uh, or threatened lawsuits with Florida State, Clemson, and North Carolina is, is making some noise behind the scenes with this, too, and where this is going to be. Uh, we think we've seen some changes in the last two years. Can you imagine where this sport's going to be by the time even when we get to 2027, much less 2030? So will the FSU lawsuit dictate some of that? Uh, I'm going to be curious to see where that goes. A lot of that is just bluster. And uh, listen, several people have told us, uh, I love my conference, but they played the victim pretty well. And they've been beating their chance about this for a while. You know, we'll see where this goes. I do think that it's going to spur some action. And again, my, my dad being a former circuit judge, uh, believe me, the legal matters move at a glacier speed the way the NCAA has done, even though they've done more in the last three years than they nearly did in the last 30. Uh, but I don't think there's any question that FSU's bluster has spurred some movement with this. Did your dad know where the bodies were buried? <laughs> I mean, a circuit cut court judge. I mean, he, he had you know, more power. Powerful. And and the, probably the better question: Did he know where Bear Bryant buried the bodies? Well, well, you know, circuit judges. You're exactly right. Judges overall have a lot of power, and in particularly in Walker County, with bootleggers and some other some other notables in that county, you better know where some of the dead bodies are oh, buried. Man, you know, I mean, he he probably knows every. <laughs> Everything. I mean, my gosh, he was—he oh, took a lot of information there with him. All yeah, right, yes, uh, from the secret text line, when do you think they will drop conference championship games? Is that something that would would create in a, if a new alliance was formed? Would they simply drop the conference championship games and, and expand even from what they've got planned now, do you think? Uh, listen, every time somebody brings that topic up to Greg Sankey, he bristles like a cat just ran into a dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, his tail goes up in the fur, and he starts growling. He mm-hmm. will be, uh, you know, I can see some of the conferences doing away with the championship game, but 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 I, I've said this for years, and we've had too many people, Tony Barnhart, is one, and I know you know Tony well. Yep. Uh, Tony has said there is no way in hell that the SEC is going to drop a championship game because no, it makes too either. much money, yeah. it's too much prestige. Uh, now, will this eventually erode some of the championship games and the conferences? Yes. I don't think there's any question about that. And, and again, 
uh, we're doing 12 next year, and I've already heard conversations with that Sankey and Panetti and some of the other commissioners have had to try to already increase this to 14 to 16 as soon as possible if they can get some of these other issues um, uh, worked out with this. Uh, but there is no way in hell that Greg Sankey is going to drop an SEC conference championship game. You know, in a, and I agree with you. You know, in a way, I in, in listening to our conversation here, the Big 12 is almost at a crossroads here, mm-hmm. don't you think? I mean, they yes. they can either hop on board. I mean, if I'm if I'm the Big 12, I'm begging the Big 10 and the SEC to let me in their group. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yep. Because if not, I mean, the Pac-12 is dead. Yes. The ACC is on life support. So it's like right. you got the, the Power 5, you got that one sticking out in the middle there. With the Big 12 that is not aligned with the SEC and the Big 10, but obviously has the type of schools in its history and in its conference that should be aligned with the Big 10 and the SEC. Uh, I don't know if they'll be as successful as those two conferences, right. but still, um, because if if the Big 10 and the SEC were to say, you know, look, let's let's do our own thing. Yep. The Big 12 is going to fall down, and that's not going to be good, I don't think, for them. Do you? I don't think there's any question, and you're right. I, I wouldn't be surprised if their commissioners already had some behind-the-door behind the conversations with Panetti and Greg Sankey about this. Yeah, right now the ACC can't get out of its own way. You, you know, we'll see where this goes, who moves, who's who's added. And that's going to probably spur some of this. But, no, I'm like you. If I'm the Big 12, I'm I'm closing up to the Big 10 and the SEC as much as I can. I know Florida State is not an important part of, of a footprint map for the conference. But from a brand perspective, FSU is still as strong as it was the day that they entered the conference. So with them practically saying, we don't want to be here. We, we want to leave, and I don't know where they want to go. I don't know if they want to go to the SEC or the Big Ten. I don't know. I don't know because while the market is a question mark, they've got one of the smaller TV markets of any Power 5 team probably in the country. There's no question the brand is very enticing to some of those other conferences. But the ACC just seems like it could fall down, downward, and – those who do escape can land somewhere else. And that, to me, is where the, you know, a 50-something team new division of college football, much like Chip Kelly was discussing when he had his little rant a couple yeah. of months ago, Brett, to be yeah. honest with you, could emerge. Uh, but I agree with you. And, uh, you know, again, yeah, obviously at Florida State, I, again, just – Picking the, the, what a lot of people think is the cream of the crop of the ACC, Florida State, uh, North Carolina, and more so even with basketball, and Clemson, those three get out. Now, I've already heard, and Brother Brent, you can ask him this on Monday on your show, Florida State's made more overtures toward the Big Ten or vice versa than the SEC. Huh. The SEC looks at Florida State – 
uh, that's a good way to put it, is more of a brand than a TV market because they've already got Florida. Florida okay. does not want Florida State in the SEC. Huh. I can assure you we've been told that, uh, but we've been told that for years, but that's going to be a real domino if, if Florida State can figure out how to get out of this grant of rights. And, uh, but Brent was on, I had my own brother on our show last week, and he said what they're really trying to figure out is the forfeiture or, or the exit fee. Uh-huh. And I've heard as much now is up to $500. And if they can massage that down to $200 million and work this out, that they they might agree to let them go. Huh. Uh, but that that's going to be the big key. Florida State's going to be the big domino. But uh, I know Florida and quite a few schools in the SEC, they agree with the, the, the uh, brand. But as far as adding TV market or adding to the DNA and the footprint uh, in the SEC, it really wouldn't help that much. Well, but, you know, it sure would be fun games, I think. Oh, um, sure it would. I, I think Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, mm-hmm. I mean, I know Florida already plays them, but I, I just think they're, they're, it, would be, it would be fun trips to Tallahassee. Oh, it would. To Tallahassee. It would. Uh, and I think to have that type of, of team that has a history of the last 50 years of what Bobby Bowden created would right. would make some fun games. And I just want good football. I don't give a damn about anything else. Well, I know. That's all I want. You know, I want some good football for sure. J-Rad says, make sure Brett Beard ain't hanging out at Saban's driveway these days to talk to Nicky Poo. Uh, listen, I can't get him to stay still. He's either in Jupiter or he's in Arizona, Florida, playing golf. Now, rumor has it he was in Tuscaloosa giving advice and counsel this week, but I never know where that rascal is going to be from week to week. I heard he had an affair with Fannie Willis and has to go testify in Atlanta in the court tomorrow. Uh, can true? you believe Fox has had that on? My, my, my beloved wife has been watching that testimony all day, and she said it's been uh, – it's been rather interesting. It's on all three channels. I've got it right here in front of me. That's why I brought it up. I'm just kidding. Unbelievable. All right, Brett Beard's our guest. You can listen to him on the radio, online, all over the country on 939thescore.com, and his ratings skyrocket on Fridays at 2.15 Eastern Time. <laughs> Thank you, sir. All right, buddy. Have a great show. All right. We're going to open up the phone lines. It is time to throw someone under the bus there is a poll going on i need to retweet this of whether ken from Cummings should be allowed to continue on our show after his comment about dale brian murphy i mean this is serious stuff here i mean uh, eddie from Ackworth started a poll let me find this thing and he asked should ken from coming be banned from the superstations because he called dale murphy a wimp uh, so far, there are nine votes. <laughs> I think I need to retweet it. Uh, yes, 22.2% say yes. 0% say no. Uh, 11.1% say that his calls suck. And fourth is both A and C. Yes, and his calls suck. 66.7% <laughs> have said that. So I'll retweet this here so everybody can participate. All right, I got someone to really throw under the bus. It's not a state of Georgia guy. He used to be a state of Georgia, tied to a team in the state of Georgia. But I got someone to really throw under the bus. We'll do that. Take your phone calls. You can talk Braves. You can talk Hawks. 
You can talk football like what we were talking about with Brett. Anything on your mind. 478-646-ESPN. We'll take a break and be back with more sports talk on this Thursday afternoon right after this. All right, 428. Thanks for joining us here. Phone lines are open. Area code 478-646-3776. It's a toll-free call. All right. Thursdays, we throw people under the bus. We just throw someone that's done something stupid in their sports world under the bus. And usually, there are plenty of candidates. Now, I've got one, and of course, I like to talk Georgia sports on this show. This is not a Georgia sports personality currently, but I am loosely tying it into something that is Georgia sports related. Seven years ago, Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator for the University of, excuse me, not for the University of Georgia, for the Atlanta Falcons. God help us if he had been the University of Georgia offensive coordinator. He was the Falcons offensive coordinator. They lost the Super Bowl. They had a 28-3 lead, and Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator. Dan Quinn was a head coach, but he was a defensive head coach. Kyle Shanahan was supposedly in charge of the offense, and someone, of course we'll never know because they're too much of a coward to admit, someone decided not to run the ball when they had a 25-point lead in the third quarter and fourth quarter of of that game with New England, and the Patriots were able to successfully come back and win the Super Bowl over the Atlanta Falcons in overtime. And when the criticism hit, Dan Quinn was steadfast in his belief that the Falcons had tried to be aggressive. And his dumb, moronic comments made the Falcons fan base even more angry that they had lost a 25-point lead with 16 minutes, or rather 18 minutes left to go in the game. Of course, Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator. So fast forward. Four years ago, 2020, San Francisco, the team that, of course, Kyle Shanahan left the Falcons to go run, got in the Super Bowl. They had a 10 point lead they lost that to the Kansas City Chiefs and lost the Super Bowl this year they had a 10 point lead and the Kansas City Chiefs were also the opponent and the 49ers lost the Super Bowl early second half first three drives for San Francisco in the second half were all three and out First down, second down, third down, three and out. They got to kick it. Nine plays. And with the lead, albeit not 28-3, but with the lead, even in the early part of the, the second half, San Francisco ran the ball only one time. One time. Now, I'm not disappointed in this because I want Kansas City to win because I can't stand Kyle Shanahan or the San Francisco 49ers. The hell with both of them. I'm an old-time Falcon fan. I don't give a damn about San Francisco ever winning anything. 
But I'm throwing Kyle Shanahan under the bus, number one, because uh, he's an idiot coach. Number two, his players admitted after the game that they did not know the overtime rules, and that was a problem. But the worst thing that Kyle Shanahan has done is he has fired his defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes. Now, Steve Wilkes, uh, I'm tying this to our area. Steve Wilkes is the former head coach at Savannah State. You may not know that. He was the head coach at Savannah State in 1999. He was 30 years old that year. And he had been the defensive coordinator at Savannah State. It was his second job and then became the head coach in 1999 before going on to Illinois State, App State, East Tennessee State, Bowling Green, Notre Dame, Washington, then the Chicago Bears, the San Diego Chargers, the Carolina Panthers, and then got the chance to be a head coach in the NFL in 2018, back to a defensive coordinator role, first for the Cleveland Browns, then Missouri. Then he was the interim head coach of the Carolina Panthers, before being named as the defense coordinator for the 49ers before the 2023 season. He was interviewed by the Atlanta Falcons to be their new head coach for 2024. But the San Francisco 49ers had a great year on defense. In the regular season this year, the San Francisco 49ers were third best in points per game allowed. They allowed 17.5 points per game. Third best stat in the NFL. Let's see how what kind of improvement that was from the 2022 regular season. So they were at 17.5, and the year before, well, they were at 16.3, so they were actually the best defense. So, I mean, he inherited a good defense, but still, the 49ers had a really good year defensively. And you lose the Super Bowl, and you decide to fire Steve Wilkes? Now, the ironic thing about this is, if you remember, after the Falcons lost the Super Bowl seven years ago, DQ, Dan Quinn, fired Brian Cox, the defensive line coach. And I thought that was a horrific decision. Brian Cox, I thought, from my perspective of watching this team, was a great defensive line coach. So I was shocked when, after the Super Bowl, your team had gotten the Super Bowl and you're making coaching changes. Of course, you had to give another another offensive coordinator because Kyle Shanahan was leaving for San Francisco. <laughs> but you fired Brian Cox. Are, are you mad because the Falcons gave up those points to the New England when it was your fault for not being smarter on offense and running the ball with such a big lead? So I, I'm just kind of taken aback by this. When I heard that that Shanahan had done that, I'm like, "You got to be kidding! That he's the scapegoat. You're gonna you're gonna make Steve Wilkes the scapegoat for this." And then someone got on my my Twitter account and said, "This is why the city and fan base are national punchlines. More interested in what a former OC here is doing than with the product on the field here in the ATL." Dino Martin at D at Tapator21 tweeted that out, and he must not listen to my show because all I talk about is Georgia sports. 
But I found it ironic that Kyle Shanahan would do something like that, which was so similar to what Dan Quinn did by almost finding a scapegoat for choking in the Super Bowl. Because that's exactly what Kyle Shanahan did. He choked. He choked. And he's not a very good coach. So I throw Kyle Shanahan squarely under the bus on this Thursday. 478-646-ESPN is our number. Danny in Macon leads us off. Hello, Danny. Hey, Bill. I have never seen anybody under a bus ever. Um, but for anybody to call Dale Murphy the well, dude, bus run over you, please. That's absolutely ridiculous. I've never heard such a ridiculous comment. Well, I, th- guy- I think he, I think Ken Cumming was trying to get under my skin, and you know that's okay. He knows he's not a wimp, but I I, I think Ken from Cumming would even ad- admit that uh, Dale Murphy belongs in the Hall of Fame. But you know, for a Dodger fan to say anything bad about uh, Dale Murphy, I mean, I think waterboarding is is too light of a sense, don't you? I agree. Just to make that statement, I don't care what your intention was, is idiotic and just, you know, this uncalled for. They don't work played about five or six straight years every game. And I played with so many injuries, as you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think he's going to get his, his time. I think he's going to be called to the Hall of Fame. I just hope that God... He's not only still alive, but uh, also that uh, he has a sound mind to understand that he's in the Hall of Fame. Do you, so should Ken from coming be banned from the Superstations because he killed Del, Del Murphy, called Del Murphy a wimp? What do you think? At least during the baseball season, yes. Okay. All right. We're taking – and now there's 27 votes. 22.2 say yes. 63% say yes. Both yes and that his call sucks. So, but he is getting some support. Seven point four percent of twenty-seven votes say no. He shouldn't be banned. So I don't. I don't know how many people in his family he obviously has on Twitter. But anyway, you're right, Danny. He shouldn't have said it. I think he should apologize. I think he should call up and apologize. And and really, he should denounce his his bludum. I, I agree, but there's kind of repercussions from an idiotic asinine. Well, I mean, you know, we could sit him down on the border to work on keeping people out of the country. Maybe we can do that. All right, Danny, thank you very much. Here's another Danny. Danny in from Savannah. What you doing? How are you? Hey, Bill. How you doing today, man? Thanks I'm good. For yes, sir. Yeah, Cam from Coming. Look, uh... Yeah, you ought to ban him during the baseball season. And if he wants to, you know, tweet or whatever, that's y'all same. But when he calls up talking Dodgers, that's that's our time. So, uh, so we, should, yeah. we should just hate on, hang up on him then. Uh, what? Yeah, but you, me being a Florida fan, you threaten to do that too. So you I know. Have to give him, give him I, know. I don't good. know what's worse, you and your Gatordom or him and his Dodgerdom. Hey, him. <laughs> Murphy belongs there. Yeah, well, there you go. You're trying to make get on my good side now. So, about the Hawks, Bill, and I think you said, you know, without the, without the uh, centers, they're playing Charlotte, you know. You thought we'd keep the game close with even a chance to win, but 23 points, Bill? 
I know it was bad, and and I I watched it, and and you know Charlotte's had a lot of changes over the last couple of uh, couple of weeks, and they're they're I thought on paper they weren't as good, but they've won three in a row, so maybe they just got rid of some bad veterans who were bringing them down. But yeah, I don't I don't get it, Danny. I mean, I I just I I'm disappointed. I'm truly disappointed, and. You know, to go back to what Landry Field said the other day after they didn't make any deals before the trade deadline, it, it just boggles my mind how they, this can be acceptable to them, how they can continue to linger in this mediocrity. I mean, we're used to it. That's the sad part is we're used to it. But, you know, I was thinking last night, I mean, I love the Hawks. I'm a Hawks fan. I know there are a lot of people out there. I mean, you call and talked about the Hawks in the past. You obviously have some – some passion for them to a certain extent as well. But it's just such a shame that after what happened three years ago when they got to the Eastern Conference Finals that, that you know, they had piqued the interest of people in this state. And now I don't think anybody gives a damn. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you're saying Charlotte got better, uh, you know, with the trade and all. Well, what did the Hawks do? They did nothing. That's the bad part. They did nothing, and I think that's – Kind of part of the problem, to be honest with you. Danny, thank you very much. We've got to go to break. 478-646-ESPN is the number. You can throw someone under the bus. You can also throw Ken from coming off the show. He's made a quirk about Dale Murphy. What could be the punishment for Ken from coming? Take away his gin. Back with more right after this. is the time. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. From Twitter, buddy on Twitter, Ken from Cumming is the Colin Cowherd of Middle Georgia Sports Talk Radio. Just trying to get a reaction from all of us Braves fans. Suspension from show for the duration of spring training. How about that? Andy on Twitter, Gatordom is worse than Dodgerdom. At least the Dodgers win. <laughs> Florida will be lucky to win four games this year. Also, screw the Dodgers and the Gators. 2021 will be repeated this year. Braves and Dogs winning it all. I like that, Andy. I'll take that in a heartbeat. That's a good year. Can you believe? What, how, what was it? How many days between the day the Braves won the World Series in Houston and the day the Bra- the uh, Bulldogs won the national championship in in uh was it like 72 or I can't remember. That was an unbelievable stretch of three months. That was a dream come true for people like me who were Braves slash Bulldogs fans. That was unbelievable. Uh, the poll is still running here. Uh, now Chris Rogers has put up a poll. Uh, who, who would win between Eddie and Ken? <laughs> Uh, I think Ken from Cummings said that about Del Murphy, knowing that I would I would want to you know like kill him. He knows I love Del Murphy. Everybody loves Del Murphy. He knows that, so he's he he was just trying to get at me. But you know, I I, th- I think it's uh, caused an uproar, and Eddie of course is uh, wanting to permanently punish Mister Ken from Cummings. So there you go. It was ninety one days between the. Braves winning. Ah, it was, are you sure? 91 days? I thought it was less than that. Check on that again. Check on that again. Check on that again. Check on that again. 
Not sure. I don't. I don't. The Braves won the World Series in November. I remember it was in November, and Georgia won the World the uh, National Championship January was the tenth. So that's only about seventy days. So I don't think it was ninety one days. Four seven eight six four six ESPN is our number to call if you'd like to join our show and uh, throw someone under the bus. You know, I was talking earlier about about the Braves and the comments that uh, have have been made so far in the first few days of spring training about World Series robust. And one of the things I thought of was, you know, it's not the first time the Braves organization has had that type of expectation in spring training. If you think about it, you go back 32 years in the spring of 1992. They had just come off a World Series appearance. They had just won a division title in 1991. They had a great young team with great talent. John Smoltz, Tom Glavin, David Justice, Ronnie Gant. They had, of course, veterans like Terry Pendleton and Sid Bream. They they were good. That was a really good team in 1991 and 1992. And I think everybody, when they got to spring training in 92 in Florida at West Palm Beach, thought, well, yeah, hell yeah, they just did it. They just got to the World Series. Why can't they go back? Well, they did. They got back to the World Series, lost again to Toronto that year in 92. Then when they went to world to, to spring training in 1993, sure, they've just gone t- two straight years to the World Series. Why can't they why can't they do that? And they didn't make it. They got knocked out by the Phillies. Of course, there was only one round before the World Series at that point in time, but they they lost the pennant to the Phillies, who then went on to play Toronto. And, of course, Toronto beat them in a unbelievable finish with Joe Carter hitting a home run. 94, well, yeah, they had high expectations. The strike came. Then 95, the strike was over. It was a late spring training. It was a truncated spring training. But still, the expectation was, yeah, we, we, we can win the World Series. Well, they did. Then they came back in 96. Oh, yeah, 96, they, they knew they were going to win the World Series. They didn't. They went to the World Series, and then they didn't. 97, 98, 99, 2000. I mean, all the way through the early 2000s, the Atlanta Braves went to spring training, first in West Palm Beach and then at Disney, and believed wholeheartedly, genuinely, they could go and win the World Series. And, and, and it was a very good chance because from 91 through 99, that nine-year span, they went five times. They were one for five, but they went to the World Series five times. And, the, and that was a great run. There's no question about it. But, you know, the, these spring trainings where the Braves are expecting a World Series championship, whether they win or lose this year, I have to tell you, I think it's going to be commonplace for this team. I, I, I mean – the Braves are set up really, really well, of course, with all these players who are signed for the long term. I don't think anybody's going to look at this Braves team and think they're getting ready to fall back and collapse. The money is going to continue to be there. The investments, I mean, we can't say that Liberty Media or Alex Anthopoulos or even Terry McGurk 
are not investing in this team, they are. And and therefore, you know, aside from this year, they are set up so well to continue to compete at a high level and to go to spring training for the rest of this decade and feel like they got a shot to win it all. Now, that's great. <laughs> I mean, that that is an unbelievable thing. Because we know at times over the course of the history of the Atlanta Braves how that hasn't been a possibility. We were hopeful maybe, but it wasn't realistic. But now, just like in the 1990s, and and obviously that means the rebuild that happened under John Coppolella from 2014 through 2017, even though he had to leave, worked. And it did. When, when Coppy took over from Frank Wren and rebuilt this team and rebuilt this team with pitching, that whole plan worked out. Alex Anthopoulos came in and took it to a new level, just like John Scherholz did when Bobby Cox rebuilt this organization back in the late 1980s. And so, you know, I, I don't know how many division titles in a row the, the Braves can win. I don't know if it can be like it was from 1991 through 2005 when they won 14 straight, but uh, they've got a really good chance at doing something special here for the coming years. Um, winning a division's tough. I, I know it's it's a secondary honor compared to winning a World Series, and, and I, I'm truly hopeful that in this era of Braves baseball they can win more than one World Series. You know, I, I, I hope that let's say, through the 2032 season. 2033, I think, is the last year Austin Riley's under contract. That you know, As long as these players now are under contract, do we think that there can be a, another championship in the offing? Well, yeah, I think so. 2033 is the last year that Austin Riley's under contract with the Braves. It's an option year, but uh, he, he is under contract for the longest amount of time with the players currently on the roster through 2032 with an option for 2033. So in the next eight, nine years, can the Braves win another World Series in this, let's call it, the Austin Riley era of Braves baseball? I hope so. And, and again, I, I just, I'm saying all this because I love the fact that they're already making comments like World Series or bust. I don't like that comment per se because I think while you always want to win the World Series, you know, I'm not going to shortchange last year. Last year... Let me tell you, last year was disappointing, but it was a hell of a lot of fun. 104 wins, it was six months of nightly entertainment with those guys playing the way they did. Was it disappointing then? Yeah, but man, you can't can't deny and ignore those six months where we had pretty good nightly entertainment. 478-646-ESPN. Phone lines are open. We'd love to hear from you. Talk sports with us as we continue here on the Bill Shanks Show. 